Hello, my name is Sam Clements, and welcome to the Love of Cinema, a Picture House podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. And welcome to our December edition of the podcast. This is our final monthly review show of the year. Uh, we release one of these every single month, and we cover four key films. Not every single film. There are far too many movies out every single month uh, to do that. But we cover four key films coming to your local picture house. And we invite two new guest critics to join us uh, to share their opinions, what they thought of the movies um, each month. On this episode, I'm delighted to welcome film critics Michael Leader and Steph Watts, both fantastic film commentators and writers in their own right, but also together they are part of the fantastic Ghibliotech podcast, a podcast dedicated to the works of Studio Ghibli, which is relevant this month, one of the foremost animation houses in Japan. And uh, and the podcast is fantastic. I'll just give them a little plug at the top because I'm a fan and say it's relevant to a couple of films uh, this month. We've got two animated films. Uh, the joy of the Ghibliotech podcast is not only are they experts in Studio Ghibli who have a wonderful uh, filmography and actually if you've uh, visited Pitchhouse Cinemas uh, you know, over recent years you would have seen no doubt that we have done a few different Ghibli seasons in, in various guises, a complete filmography, a Hayao Miyazaki retrospective uh, and, and much, much more. What I love about what Michael and Steph do on the Ghibliotech podcast is they have branched out from beyond just the works of Studio Ghibli, and I say just, that's quite a lot of work, but uh, to other notable animators and animation houses, and uh, it's a real, you know, one-stop shop uh, for everything uh, animation, and uh, highly recommend checking that out. If you're listening to this, you clearly like a podcast, so we'll put a link in the show notes for that. So yes, we have a brand new Studio Ghibli film coming this December, as well as a, a range of other things, and I'm excited to hear what Michael and Steph have made of our program. So without further ado, let's jump over to Michael and Steph for the big one, the new Studio Ghibli film, the return of celebrated filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, his new film, The Boy and the Heron, is coming to cinemas across the UK on the 26th of December, Boxing Day. But at Picture House Cinemas, we do have previews on the 15th of December, so do take a look at your local listings and see if there are any tickets left for that. This is a fantastic film. It's a marvel. It's a big film, and, uh, and I do recommend seeing it on a big screen. But that's enough from me. Let's hear what Michael and Steph made of The Boy and the Heron. Mahito. So... You made it. Mother! Have a seat. It's this way, Mahito. A lot of strange things happen in this place. I just hope he stays safe. Save me. Save me, Mahito! What exactly are you? Your mother. She's awaiting your rescue. I'll be your guide. What is this place? This world is filled with the dead. I know it's a lie, but I have to see. Okay, so Michael, hi Miyazaki, he's back. After many, many years, he's back with a new film with Studio Ghibli, The Boy and the Heron. What are we thinking? 
you're obviously a huge Miyazaki fan well, an expert. In a different life, Steph, you and I are currently halfway through recording several hours of podcasting <laughs> about this very film <laughs> under our Ghibliotech banner. And we've been talking about Studio Ghibli's films for five plus years. And yeah, sure. Hayao Miyazaki comes out of retirement 10 years after his last film, The Wind Rises, with this film that when it was released in Japan was shrouded in mystery. They only released one poster before the film came out, not even a synopsis or a cast list or anything. We just had a hand-painted poster to go on. So it's really strange to talk about because like, how much do people want to know? How much do you want to delve into? Yeah. But what we can say is that this is a grand, challenging, wonderful, magical masterpiece from the guy who is the top of his game, the, the best in class in animation or otherwise for these sorts of films. Of course, people may know him as the director behind Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, my Neighbor Totoro, Howl's Moving Castle. And I suppose if we were going to triangulate this film <laughs> within his oeuvre, it's probably closest in terms of its complexity to something like The Wind Rises, his previous film, mm -hmm. in the sense that it is very personal, essayistic. Um, it's quite challenging. However, it is also a grand sweeping fantasy Similar in some scope to Spirited Away, it follows a young protagonist at a very important stage in their life as they are whisked away on an adventure. Although even in his 80s, Hayao Miyazaki, don't count him out, he's still doing things new and different to him that we've never seen in his films before. This film, whilst it's as magical as you'd imagine, the animation, the design is wonderful, the fantasy and the, the blending of everyday moments with magical um, moments is outstanding. His animation is bringing new elements in. There are, it's probably the funniest film he's ever done. Probably the <laughs> grossest and scariest film he's ever done without going into too many specifics. But am I on the right track here with you, Steph? Are you, did you feel similarly about this film? Yeah, I think 100%. I think, I think, you know, yeah, like you said, we haven't seen much apart from a poster, We've obviously got the trailer now. The trailer is pretty cryptic. And I don't think even if you were a complete kind of spoiler-free person who didn't want to see anything before going in, you are, you can still be surprised by the film, even if you've seen like all of the, you know, release pictures and the trailer and stuff, because it's just, it's just like entering, yeah, the mind of Miyazaki. You're just entering this magical world full of like, amazing animation that yeah even over studio ghibli's really long history like some of that we've never seen before it's absolutely fantastic and i think it is really challenging um there's obviously a lot of big themes going on there's a lot of stuff that you know hi miyazaki's kind of wrestling with in this film because it is quite personal but you're still on this amazing magical ride it is super funny i think it um when we saw it uh, at preview screening, it was really fun to just listen to people giggling at kind of really silly moments, even when, you know, you've got this big kind of weighty um, film mm. behind it. But yeah, just absolutely amazing. And I suppose in a day and age where marketing is amped up so much, you almost know what you're getting out of a mm. Hollywood movie once you sit down in your seat You've seen the trailers, you've seen the posters, you've seen the first looks, you've seen all, everything about it. 
And this film, even if you've watched the trailer that's come out since, you've read the synopsis, there is still so much to discover because that's what mm. is great about Miyazaki and what Ghibli and what they stand for is this sense of an opening up of the brain, pure <laughs> imagination being blown all over the screen because that's what's fascinating about this film is that it goes hand in hand with, as you say, the personal themes. It's set in the Second mm. World War. It's about a boy who's evacuated out of Tokyo. He's grieving for a mother who's died. And at that important, quite traumatic, important, you know, emotional time of his life, this heron comes into <laughs> his life who seems to be lording it over the estate of um, the, uh, that he moves into in the country. And With an absolutely grotesque voice also. We've only seen the subtitle version. We know Robert Pattinson's playing the heron in the dub very mm-hmm. excited to hear that in the future but and you know we, we have hours and hours and hours to talk about this but really you know it <laughs> what we can say is it was a great relief sitting down and watching this film on the big screen being blown away by it and i can't wait to go again really absolutely so many times i've got you know week to week when it comes out in cinemas i'm going to be going to see it again let's go somewhere new see worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. Well, I couldn't think of two better people to ask uh, to talk about that one and say it's a big film. There is a lot going on and, uh, and I think that was... Definitely enough to whet my appetite uh, to go and see the film again. Again, on the Ghibliotech podcast, there is a much more thorough review, which I, I do recommend seeking out maybe after you've seen The Boy and the Heron. Um, but totally down to you. Totally down to you. Up next, another film from a celebrated filmmaker, um, a much more prolific filmmaker maybe than Hayao Miyazaki, who has taken um, over 10 years to make The Boy and the Heron and, and uh, sort of come out of retirement for it. We've got the brand new film from prolific director Aki Kirismaki, Fallen Leaves, uh, which is actually playing in cinemas right now. It's a celebrated film from this year's festival circuit. It's uh, got great acclaim when it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and has been doing the rounds, as they say. But it has finally come to UK cinemas. It's under 90 minutes, which is always a joy as someone who works in a cinema. And uh, we constantly look at that programming, that scheduling, and you know, seeing when you can program shows in. And uh, and the shorter the film, the more flexible we get to be with the showtimes. So a personal joy. But also, with this film, it's just a joy from start to finish. But to be fair, this film is a joy from start to finish. And let's hear what Steph and Michael made of Fallen Leaves. Muistatko sitä iltaa, kun laulet karaokea? Siinähän istuu ne kaksi naista. Tapasin sen pienemmän myöhemmin. Mentiin melkein naimisiin. Miksi te menneet? Hukkasin puhelinnumeron. Miksi et kysy numerotiedustelusta? En tiedä nimeä. Se kieltämättä vähän haittaa. 
Okay, Fallen Leaves, Steph. This is a new film yes. from Finnish legend Aki Karismaki, um, <laughs> who has a very distinctive style. Had you seen any of his films before this? So I had seen uh, The Man Without a Past back in my first year of university, I think, on the film course we were doing. We watched it a couple of times. I don't really remember much about it, but I just remember all of the kind of the use of colour and like the very distinctive look that he has and the just kind of, I guess, slightly sad characters wandering around in in kind of Scandinavian areas. So um, I didn't even make the link actually when I watched Fallen Leaves that this was him and this is the same director of those two films. But as soon as I put it on, I was like, this, okay, I have to look this guy up because I'm pretty sure I've seen some of his films before and there it was. Um, so yeah, what about you? You're a Charismatic fan? Well, yes, and I have, I have friends from Finland as well, so I know that landscape, even though it's very much his vision of what that country is and what it stands mm. for. It's so funny that we're talking about this in the same week as um, Hayao Miyazaki. Hayao Miyazaki is just full <laughs> of ideas and extravagant in so many ways, but Karismaki is just so restrained. He may have things, mm. as you say, the use of colour, but he is giving... Jim Jarmusch should run for his money in terms of deadpan, in terms of how restrained and blank almost some of the mm. drama is in this film. But he does in a similar way to David Lynch or, mm. as I say, Jim Jarmusch, 1980s filmmakers, as he is, he's, a, he's an old filmmaker now, creates his own world with a slightly absurdist view of everyday reality and everyday melodrama or drama or real-life people. So in this we have... You know, she's a shelf stacker in a supermarket. He's a labourer on building sites and they have a romance. It's a very romantic film, but it's so deadpan that you don't really mm. realise what it's doing to you. It, you know, <laughs> it, before you know it, you're very deeply invested in these characters yeah. and you're laughing along with its sort of wry take on the absurdity of everyday humdrum mm -hmm. life. <laughs> Yeah, I think for like what like an 80 81 minute film, it really draws you in to to really be invested in those characters. Um and the humor is so great. I have just finished playing Alan Wake 2 for any gamers listening in and so um the creator of that is also from Finland. He has like loads of Finnish actors. It shares like a really similar sense of humor. Um, so it was quite fun to have just come off of playing that game and like watching all the cutscenes and laughing along and then being dropped into this film. It also shares an actor. Um, yes. Really? Um, he is called Marty Susalo. Mm -hmm. um, and he plays um, the bar owner who gets dragged away in a in a kind of fun moment mm -hmm. in in Fallen Leaves. So he's got quite a small role in this, but he plays a janitor in Alan Wake and they just let him fly, do some kind of um, finish phrases and stuff and just ramble around. So yeah, fun little links in there that yeah. I wasn't expecting. And and for a film that's a morsel, really, it's I don't think it's even 81 minutes, Steph. I think it's like 78. It's, yeah, it's very know, short. Barely over an hour. <laughs> it, it packed within that there's so many fascinating filmmaking tensions throughout it, sort of the blackness of the expression, the greys mm. of the world around them, but then the way that colour pops when there is colour, mm. like the red of a jumper or a wallpaper, whatever. And it is also such a deeply cinephilic film as well, mm -hmm. um, in, in a very funny, savage way. 
um, <laughs> as well as a, a real um, sincere way. There's a key scene, well, a couple of key scenes where they go to the cinema, the cinema that's in Helsinki, and oh. it uses the posters in the background and some of the chat of people walking out of a screening um, mm. to great effect, um, meaningful mm. effect. And in a similar way to, as I said, Jarmusch and Lynch, uh, Charismaki has some great music in this film. A lot of oldies music uh, playing mm. on radios in the background, very sort of um, melancholic music. And then there's this a one breakout scene of a band I'd never heard of before because they are a Finnish band and they um, sing in Finnish. So, of course, they're never going to have much of an international standing, but they're called Maustatutut, uh, which <laughs> literally means Spice Girls in Finnish what? and they're like That's a synth so and bass duo and they just sing <laughs> these amazing um, sort of minimal synth pop songs and one of many reasons I say to go and see this film with a good sound system and good projection of the big screen <laughs> okay folks from fallen leaves to fallen feathers we're going back into the world of animation this time to another legendary animation house we're going to the latest from Ardman, the bristol-based powerhouse behind things like wallace and gromit and morph and creature comforts and all that good stuff they made their feature debut with chicken run in the early aughts and i think there has been talk maybe an outcry from fans for a sequel to chicken run for a, a number of years and i think Ardman they don't do things just for the sake of doing it they need to have a good reason uh, to invest their time and, and resource and creativity into a project and they've clearly come up with the right idea uh, for a follow-on to chicken run so we have a long-awaited over 20 years in the making sequel to chicken run it's called Chicken Run, colon, Dawn of the Nuggets. It's in cinemas right now and will be on Netflix very soon. So if you're listening to this a bit later on, that's okay. Check it out on Netflix. I have to say, I've seen this film. We had an interview with the director, Sam Fell, on this very feed. I think it is the podcast before this one. So do check that out too. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I love the first Chicken Run and, and it was really nice to see these characters back uh, again, for a for a second round, would say maybe this film is a little funnier, maybe a little less scary uh, than the first one. But anyway, that's enough from me. You didn't come here to hear me talk about the film. I want to know what Michael and Steph made of Chicken Run: Colon Dawn of the Nugget. Life doesn't get better than this. We've put the past behind us. <gasps> we have Molly to think about now. What a bonnie we hen! I made her a bicycle! Oh, what a lovely thought! She is a lot like you. See you later! Hmm? Mum, can we go over there? You've got everything you want right here. You can't make me stay here! <gasps> She's left the island! What is that? Huh? Ah! Molly! The truck's taking chickens to some kind of farm. Well, hey, that doesn't look so bad. Oh, that looks so <gasps> bad. Who knows what horrors Molly is dealing with in there? So, Michael, we recently heard that there was a world plasticine shortage. Did you hear about <laughs> this? Um, everyone was very scared that Arben weren't going to be able to make any more films. Um, they released a very nice statement saying, don't worry, we've bought enough, we've got loads. 
we can continue making films. But Chicken Run 2, or Chicken Run The Dawn of the Nugget, is their mm-hmm. newest film. You've seen it. What's your kind of connection with the chicken the chicken run universe? The the egg universe? Yeah, the um the chicken verse. Well, I mean, I must make a short <laughs> confession. You know, most of what we do over on Ghibli Attack is talk about animation and stop motion as well. Mm. I had never seen Chicken Run until I had to prepare to watch Chicken Run, The Dawn of the Nugget. It was a I great can't believe this. You know, um, gap in my filmmaking knowledge. I could only say that I was a, a teenager at the time and I had other things on my mind circa 2000. But of course, I love Aardman. Don't we all grow up watching Aardman in some form? Whether it's yeah. music videos or adverts or Wallace and Gromit shorts or now nowadays my kids watching Shaun the Sheep on telly <laughs> or Timmy Time on even, you know, uh. teenier telly. So they are absolutely a fabric, you know, woven into the fabric of British culture, visual culture. Mm. So this is a big deal for them returning to the franchise. And I'd be interested in a second, Seth, to know what you are expecting about this film. But mm. it is a strange legacy sequel that, you know, <laughs> 20 plus years on revisiting these characters. And I suppose if I were to ex- describe what they're doing here is um, this is a family movie. This is arriving in the wake of your Paddingtons. It wants to be everybody in the seat, whether it's the mums, the dads or the kids are enjoying it in the sense that we are returning to the story of Ginger and Rocky, but years on when they have their own daughter, Molly, who's voiced by Bella Ramsey, who's got one of the great voices, I think, of young (laughs) actors working today. And in the years where they found their paradise after breaking out of the farm in the first film, they now like their paradise and they want to stay there. But Molly wants to see the the wide world outside so it's tables are turned and not only do the kids want to go and have their fun but the adults have to relearn the courage and the adventurous spirit that they previously had but what's different is the creative team behind the camera i always look at Ardman as being so british in terms of their eccentricities but they're also so mm. defined by those key creative talents your dave sproxton or lord or your nick park and particularly Nick Park with his very northern sense of humour and the fact that the first chicken run was very much what if the great escape but with chickens, Uh, very much informed by that sort of previous couple of generations tea time film watching. Um, This film doesn't have that as much. It is more of a standard conventional story, I suppose, of Mm. them finding a a high-tech farm that uh, they, they need to be fearful of. There's some really great bits in there, and the director behind it is Sam Fell, who goes way back with Ardman. He made Flushed Away way back when, then left and worked with Leica Studios in Portland on Paranorman. So very much is at the forefront of stop-motion animation. And they, mm. they do some really good stuff here in a way that, I don't, I don't know, maybe if you're coming at it from that world of Ardman films from the 2000s and before, which were very much soaked in film references and tv british tv pop culture references it's a little bit different Mm, okay yeah i'm intrigued to see it i'm excited i love stop motion love ardman you know i'm always getting all of the wallace and gromit shorts and stuff out at christmas and watching those so i am super excited to see this apprehensive i guess because it is such a big title like the first chicken run was such a big part of my childhood so yeah it's always it's always something like that where when something from an important time in your life comes comes back with new ideas you're always going to be like oh i don't i don't know if i if i'm going to like everything is that going to like 
spoil the first chicken run or something, mm. but obviously the first one still exists. So I don't think it spoils the first one at all. And um, it has some really interesting visual ideas behind it as well. One of the ways that this high-tech farm keeps the chickens there is through brainwashing with these sort of um, this high-tech gadgets that they wear. And what it does when they're doing that is it plays with the idea that the very fundamentals of animation that you're watching is you're watching plasticine come to life through movement, <laughs> through the, all of these little details in the eyes and the face that make it seem that these little creations are real. And so when they're brain washed under the thrall of these devices they just turn the, all that life drains out of them and it's very fascinating right. for a moment when you see the this set that's been created to keep them captive but also as you say you might be apprehensive as well some of the cast changes that have happened over the last 20 years mm. but i will say absolutely always a pleasure to hear jane horrock's voice <laughs> booming out of some big speakers uh, one of the great voices uh, in british tv and film history Oh, thank you for that, Michael. Can't believe you hadn't seen the first Chicken Run uh, before this, but I'm really glad that by doing uh, this podcast, this review, you were able to watch both Chicken Run films. And listeners, hey, that's a good programming suggestion. Would recommend doing that too. Moving on to our final new release of the podcast, from Chicken Shack to Racetrack, we've got the new film from Michael Mann, Ferrari, starring a who's who of, of, of cast. It's got a wild lineup, um, headed up by Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, Shailene Woodley. Uh, but, but honestly, look through the credits because there's so many great people uh, tucked away in this film. I think from reading interviews with, with Michael Mann about this film, it's something he's wanted to make for a while. So great that we have it. Great that we have Michael Mann back on the big screen. And this is definitely one to watch in a cinema, not just for the visuals, but for the sound, for the excellent engine sound, that immersive race car experience. So here we are for our final review of the podcast, Michael and Steph on Michael Mann's Ferrari. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. The corner races at you. You have perhaps a crisis of identity. Am I a sportsman? Or a competitor? If you get into one of my cars, you get in the wind. It's slow. Okay, Steph. Yes. You're in the driver's seat for Ferrari. I had to double check this because this is another biopic with Adam Driver playing an Italian famous figure behind a worldwide known <laughs> brand, right? So he's oh, yes. Enzo Ferrari in this. Michael Mann's directing. I expect this is muscular, masculine, hard-hitting. Am I right? It definitely is for some. Um, I think it's more balanced than you might think it is. So, yeah, obviously we know Adam Driver's in it. I feel like he's been at the forefront of kind of all of the 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 kind of marketing materials for it. Um, but a real standout for me was Penelope Cruz and Shailene Woodley. Mm. Shailene Woodley, yeah. And Shailene Woodley, um, who play Enzo Ferrari's kind of two wife slash girlfriends um, that he's kind of bouncing between. Um, so Penelope Cruz, who's playing, yeah, his kind of legal wife, 
goes on this entirely separate um, storyline, basically, where she's kind of dealing with her emotions and this kind of situation she's in where she's dealing with him basically having other relationships outside of their marriage. There's a lot for, you know, Penelope Cruz to chew on, which is absolutely great. I just love watching her on screen, really. Like any element of melodrama, you just know she's going to absolutely nail it. Um, So I think that is like, apart from, we'll get to the fast cars in a minute, but that is like one of the standout things for me is that there is, you know, it's about a man and his race and Italy and Ferraris, but then there's also kind of family drama going on that's actually done really well, I thought. Definitely... Yeah, well balanced in that regard. That's really interesting. And tell me about the car side, because mm-hmm. I've been very busy of late, so I haven't really kept up as much as I would have done with trailers and whatnot. But mm-hmm. one thing I have seen about this film is Adam Driver swearing at somebody at a Q&A when they were talking about <laughs> yes. the car scenes and particularly crashes in this film. So what what's the context yes. for all that? Um, so the the time that the film is set in is kind of 10 years after Ferrari is founded and we're kind of in the run-up to this big race called the Mille Miglia, um, which is kind of a thousand-mile race through the streets of Italy. It's going, like, all up the country. Um, and it was also incredibly dangerous. Like, I was reading um, after I saw the film, something like four people per year died in wow. every single race. And that included drivers and spectators because they were basically just like standing at the edge of the road with nothing between them and the cars and obviously these like very fast high-powered cars um so there are i don't think it's a spoiler because it's history i guess to say that there are some big crash scenes yeah i i think the actual like racing is done really well like the and the, the shots of the cars and stuff maybe a little bit left to be desired in terms of cgi but i don't think necessarily you would want to see that in like graphic Mm. amazing high-res cgi detail i don't think it's necessarily the most important part so i'm on adam driver's side against that q a guy who said that they were cheesy and poorly done so yeah it's yeah that kind of i think maybe final hour where they do get into the race and you are just kind of on the road with his five, I think, um, Ferrari-owned cars containing, like, Jack O'Connell, Man of the Year, Patrick Dempsey, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then some of the other races. Yeah, the sound design is so good. You you are really, like, it's shaking the seats because you're hearing these cars going past and they've really kind of tuned it up, so it's a little bit deafening, but um, really thrilling, really great, and, yeah, made me go away and just read about all of this stuff afterwards when I'm not necessarily a a car gal so i wouldn't have known all of that stuff before going in or been necessarily interested but yeah you say you're say you're not a car gal but you are the biggest fast and furious fan that i know personally that is true that is true it is <laughs> i wouldn't like to compare michael mann to the directors of the fast and furious franchise <laughs> so i think yes it's definitely not cars jumping off of planes or cars being stuck to other cars so that they can trample another car or whatever but yeah i like thrills i like high speed chases and tension so yeah i think this is this is great i think um 
if you're trying to get your whole family out to the cinema on Boxing Day, this is maybe the one. Like, it's got everything. It's got something for everybody in it. Um, and it's Michael Mann. So, yeah. Well, there we are. Those are our four new releases. Uh, loved hearing Michael and Steph talk about that program. I love that we also had two animated features on whilst we had uh, two of the people behind the Ghibliotech podcast on the show. Excellent uh, cross-curational uh, timing there. Wonderful stuff. But it wouldn't be the love of cinema if we didn't also ask our guest critics what is A, currently on in cinemas that they would recommend, and B, what they're looking forward to in 2024 and as this is our end of year christmas december special i did want to ask about their favorite festive films uh, to watch at home too uh, so let's get a few more recommendations from our guest critics okay steph even though we've just talked at length about four films that are coming out there are so many films out right now so what else are we going <laughs> to shout out that's still on screens uh, I'm going to shout out the fantastic May December, the latest Todd Haynes film. Um, I think you can watch it on Sky Cinema or equivalent wherever you are in the world, but it is still in cinemas. I think it's definitely a big screen watch. It's kind of telling this story of uh, a woman who has a very weird, large age gap with her husband um, and then an actress who's played by Natalie Portman is kind of coming in to study her, to play her in like a, a TV movie of her life. It's just, I've seen a lot of people talking about it um, in the past week or so and just kind of being absolutely stunned by it. I was such a big fan. It's so kind of deeply uncomfortable, but funny, handled so well. It's kind of Todd Haynes just operating on this amazing level, I think. So... Yeah, oh, big fan. I'm so jealous that yeah. you've seen that. I, I can't wait to watch it. I need oh, to get some time out of the house. Yeah. But my, my pick... So this has been covered on the podcast in, previ in a previous episode, but it still is one of the best films of the year, so I'm going to shout it out. Anatomy of a Fall, uh, mm. Justine Trier's um, Palme d'Or winning reinvention of the courtroom drama, made you know, sold over a million tickets in France, an incredible film, and I suppose it uses the courtroom drama as a route into what becomes a deeply existential exploration of truth and relationships and what what do we really know um it uses this case this uh, occurrence of a man falling out of a window did he jump was he pushed was his wife involved and they just don't have the right evidence really to call it either way and you watch it play out over two and a half hours or so and it just becomes this inquiry into he said, she said. I can't do that, do that full <laughs> Limp Biscuit quote, unfortunately, on a podcast of this uh, nature. Um, and Sandra Huller, one of the breakout stars of the year, is in this. And what I loved about this film is that it was such an intellectually driven film that had a real mastery on genre and why we love cinema. And it's told across three separate languages between German, French, mm. and English. And it's. Uh, a vision for cinema that I can get behind. Something that's smart, but grown up. Nice. I can't wait to see that. I'm definitely going to catch it. But that's stuff that's in the cinema at the moment. But looking ahead to the new year, to 2024, what are you excited to see? 
I'm going to keep talking about Sandra Huller for a second here because <laughs> she had two films in Cannes this year that won the two top prizes, the other one being The Zone of Interest, which is the new film from Jonathan Glazer, who I think is the best living British filmmaker, certainly of his generation anyway. It's been, again, 10 years since Under the Skin, his last film, very unlikely alien invasion sci-fi drama. Um, he never really makes films as you'd expect them to. And this is a Holocaust drama like no other. It's um, looking at the family life of the Commandant's family as they live in their chalet-type house just on the outskirts, literally outside the walls of Auschwitz. And it's, a, as we said previously with Fallen Leaves, it's a filmmaker with such control over tone, mm. what he's showing, what he wants to show you, um, the sound design, the look of the movie. It really is, gosh, I mean, it's not an easy watch, but it's an incredible watch. And if you want to see something and feel something, experience something that's rare on the big screen today, that's one to look forward to. It's out first week of February. So what are you looking forward to, Steph? Um, also, not necessarily an easy watch, but an incredible watch is The Iron Claw, um, Sean Durkin's film about the Von Erichs wrestling family, one of the greatest wrestling families in America of all time. Um, I got really into wrestling this year. I've watched so much um, pro wrestling. It's been great. I went to see some live wrestling. So yeah, this was kind of a given for me to go and watch anyway. Um, it is, yeah, very kind of dark and challenging if you know the, the story of that family. Um, but I think it's it's really done so well by like kind of Sean Durkin's direction. And the cast is actually incredible as well. It's um, Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson. Ooh. Just, yeah, really kind of fully committed, I think, really going for it. And they really give this really kind of heartfelt and emotional performance that just really stuck with me. So I'm, yeah, really excited for everybody to see that and to go and see it when it's out in February. I'm again. completely in the bag for that. I loved his previous film, The Nest, which I think is on mm. iPlayer right now. It was a pandemic release, so it didn't get much of a look in. I'd recommend mm. checking that out. He also made Martha Marcy May Marlene yes. years ago. He's Hasn't three made for many three. movies, but he's made some good ones. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, on a slightly happier note, <laughs> it's Christmas. Before we get into those kind of dark and challenging films of February, um, what are you looking forward to as your Christmas watch? What are you like definitely going to be watching this month? Well, I'm definitely going to be watching a film called Tokyo Godfathers, which years ago used to be a good pick as the like an alternative Christmas favourite. Like, you know, if you want to be a hipster and impress people, you'd mention Satoshi Kon's 2003 Japanese animated film Tokyo Godfathers. But I think now it's actually gone into the canon. There are several film screenings on the big screen around the country. And actually, we, under the auspices of Ghibli Attack, are screening it in London on the 14th of December. But... That film is just fantastic. It's a very rare Japanese look at Christmas, we, particularly within animation. You don't get many Japanese Christmas movies, but it also rests on such strong foundations in terms of Christmas tropes and traditions in the sense that it is um, a movie about three people who are experiencing homelessness who find a baby literally in the trash on Christmas Eve. And it's a little Christmas miracle. And the in terms of the serendipity and the happenstance and the coincidences that they that they go through on the way to reuniting that baby with their family. And it's from one of the greats of animation, Satoshi Kon, but it's grounded and funny and quite a caper. Definitely one to seek out, I think. 
definitely a good Christmas caper for the year. What's your big Christmas pick, Steph? Uh, Mine is uh, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Um, I actually only saw this for the first time last last Christmas. Um, I had a a rare December day off and I went to the cinema like midway through the afternoon to see this film for the first time. Um, And it's just like a perfect movie. Maybe not necessarily like a Christmas Christmas movie, but set around that time of year. It's, yeah, it's just like the perfect movie it's kind of about and like weirdly modern i think because it's kind of about this guy who's like loaning out his apartment to his boss so his boss can like bring women back um (laughs) and like he has to just like live outside his apartment and then he ends up kind of encountering one of these women who like gets left there and i think it's really it's a really kind of good film it's like very funny there's a lot about like loneliness and and kind of that kind of weird Christmas time, New Year sadness that some people experience if they're not necessarily like tied to like a, a family or anything in the city. Yeah, just just great. It's got Jack Lemon sieving pasta through a tennis racket. Like what else oh. could you want, really? It's one of those textbook <laughs> films where you come out being completely in love with both leads, don't you? Both Jack Lemon and yeah. Shirley MacLaine. Uh, yeah. The most charming and wonderful performances you've ever seen. Absolutely. I kind of, yeah, just can't wait to watch this every single year now. So, yeah. Steph, mm-hmm. this is the very awkward moment for us British folk, where we have to plug ourselves and talk about <laughs> ourselves. So we record a podcast called Ghibli Attack, don't we? And yes. if that five-minute taster of conversation around the boy and the heron has made you wonder, what do these people think at length about the boy and the heron? We are just putting out our episode on the film, where we go into much more detail. We're also going to have a big spoiler detailed discussion later in the month. Mm. But under Ghibli Attack, we do all sorts, don't we? We have several books out if people are looking for stocking fillers uh, we have a book called ghibli attack the unofficial guide to the movies of studio ghibli which goes through their entire catalog film by film a new release for this year is the world of studio ghibli which is sort of like the darling kindersley usborne ladybird type book on ghibli for ages seven to nine we also released a film a book called film korea about for the Korean film industry, looking at 30 key films as an introduction into that. Gosh, we also mentioned we're showing Tokyo Godfathers in December. Um, but the main thing, you're, you're the real talent behind it all, Steph. And uh, if, if I, I think Tiger Moth Embroidery deserves a shout out. <laughs> Are you doing any embroidery recently? I've been doing some little bits of embroidery here and there, mostly for Christmas gifts and home, home upcycles. But yes, if you... Mm are interested in some kind of anime Ghibli themed embroideries or they don't have to be anime themed then yeah follow me over on Instagram at Tiger Moth Embroidery to see what kind of embroidery bits and bobs I've been up to. (laughs) Where can we follow Ghibliotech Michael and see news on the Tokyo Godfather screening? Well this is the bit where I have to spell the word Ghibliotech because we even (laughs) get it wrong every now and then so it's G-H-I-B-L-I-O-T-H-E-Q-U-E ghibli attack we're, we're basically under that wherever you're going to be searching for us although we are ghibliatech.pod on instagram excellent work there thank you very much uh michael leader and steph watts for being our guest critics on this edition of the podcast thank you so much for listening not just to this our december edition of the love of cinema but throughout the year um everyone who subscribes re- means so much to us uh, we put a lot of effort into doing this podcast it's a real passion uh, for us at picture house uh, so that always means a lot 
What also means a lot is the excellent production work from Kobe. Thank you so much, Kobe, and Stripped Media uh, for providing production. And also thank you, Laura, our killer editor, uh, for editing this show together and and putting up with my waffle, really. Uh, thank you so much, Laura, for your incredible work throughout 2023. I guess just a bit of housekeeping on this feed. We will be dropping a few more interviews uh, throughout the rest of December. Going into January, we often have interview specials well worth subscribing to the podcast so you don't miss those. And we do have a little bonus pod coming out around Christmas Eve, which features our cinema programming team discussing their personal favorites and what performed well at the box office this year. I quite like that chat. It's getting getting the, the people with the knowledge uh, who program our cinemas day in, day out on microphone. Uh, so looking forward to that one. That's coming later in the year. But say thank you so much for subscribing. It's been, it's been a great year and we're looking forward to carrying on the show in 2024 for everything Picturehouse. Visit picturehouses.com. You can follow Picturehouse on social media at picturehouses. That's our handle on things like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all that stuff. But really, have a great Christmas. Have a lovely time over the holidays. Stay safe. Enjoy movies. Great time to watch films. Go to the cinema. Let us know what you're watching on the big screen. And we'll see you very soon. Mm -hmm.